Hey everyone, Dave Broadbeck here. The lecture you're about to hear is for psychology, also biology, uh, 3506 neuropharmacology, and it's for the, uh, I guess, winter of what schizophrenia was, and I knew that most of the psych students knew, but the biology students might not be entirely clear with this, because the word depression is used a lot in popular parlance. You know, you go, oh, I'm so depressed. I feel so depressed. And no, you don't. Because when you say, when you feel, when, people that actually have major depressive disorder, as a rule, until they're diagnosed, don't know they're depressed. They think it's completely normal to think that Everything in the world bad is their fault. I'm exaggerating somewhat. I don't think a lot of depressed people say, you know that whole Middle East thing? Probably me. But they don't. There's a thing that happens in, 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 in human cognition called the fundamental attribution error, where when good things happen, you sort of blame yourself. And when bad things happen, you blame the situation, right? So when you write a test and you do well, what do you think? You say, I study hard and I'm smart. And when you do poorly, you think, Broadback gave me a really hard test and he's an asshole, right? I mean, you, that's, right? When, when someone cuts you off on the road, you don't say, I'm a shitty driver. You say, that guy's a shitty driver. You don't say, but when you cut somebody off on the road, you don't say, oh, God, am I ever a horrible driver? You just say, oh, God, I'm sorry, and you give him a little wave, right? A person who has major depressive disorder doesn't make that attribution. What they do is they say, every time anything bad happens, it's always due to them. That's one of the key things talked the other day about the Pollyanna effect. Depressed people, remember how schizophrenic people, you give them a list of words, and if you have happy words, they don't remember them better than sad words. Depressed people actually remember sad words better than happy words. So there's a lack, <clears throat> excuse me again, geez. there's a lack of motivation, there's a lack of, there's like not getting out of bed in the morning, because what's the use anyway, I'll screw that up too. It's that kind of thing. That's what depression is. It's not I'm feeling kind of down and sad. Though the emotions that people do have are not good ones. They're not happiness. Right? So there's nothing wrong with the fact that we use the word depression in everyday speech and we say, oh, I'm so depressed. Though part of me kind of it bothered me a little bit because people actually have a real disorder and you're sort of co-opting their disorder to explain your behavior. It's like when people say, oh, I'm so OCD. No, you're almost certainly not. Oh, you have a debilitating thing where you have to wash your hands 700 times a day? No, you like your room being clean. Well, that's just kind of normal. No one says, oh, I, I'm, just a, I'm so diabetic today. Right? That's, I always think of diabetes as the, as the sort of go-to thing, right? Because it, it's, a, it's something that can be controlled. We kind of how it works. But the thing is, with these, quote, physical things rather than mental things, there's no difference. 
it's all physical at some level. We sort of glom on to these things in, in popular, popular parlance, as I said. So it's not just feeling down, right? It's about flat affect, and that's a technical term, meaning no emotion. It's just flat. And the emotions that people do have when they are, are sad and destructive. People at the very bottom, when they're untreated, depressives are unlikely, in fact, to harm themselves so much as people that, because they think they'll screw that up too. Right? I can't kill myself, I'll even screw that up. It's when actually people start therapy and start taking the drugs and they start getting a little bit better and get just enough confidence to do themselves some harm. That's one of the reasons you don't just give the drugs, you also have therapy. So it's interesting, a lot of people say that Oh, these drugs, and I'll talk a little bit about this today. The side effect of some of these antidepressants is they increase likelihood of suicide. Actually, that's an antidepressant effect. Because people now have just enough confidence to think they can get away with and do it. As I said, this is not, we're talking about depression. It's not going to be a happy one. We'll get to marijuana and LSD next week at closer quick. So it's like a lack of emotion is, is probably the best way to say it. And with the caveat that the any emotions people do have aren't good ones. And it does seem to be more common now than it ever has been. Um, yeah, I think that's safe to say. Now, part of that is probably because people... There's less stigma around it than there used to be. Uh, so people freely admit they're on antidepressants. I remember when I first taught this class, which was in the fall of... 1998. That's oh <coughs> a long time. Uh, that no one in the class, for example, ever said, oh, I take antidepressants. And then as time's gone on, people have told me, either after class or even just in the regular class session, they've said, oh, I'm on Prozac. And I've had the following side effects. And then they ask me medical advice. Don't do that. Please. When I first got my PhD, my dad said to me, Doc, it hurts when I do this. I said, well, don't, don't do that. But of course, that's the joke. It's like we were doing bits. Okay. So what is the... Whoops, I'm going to go back. Sorry. So what is depression? I, should be, I thought I edited that. Fix that. Um, we can talk about two major classes, and then there's like sort of things that are... Subsets of them, let's say that. So major depressive disorder, low self-esteem, loss of interest in things that people are interested in, generally. So first of all, people don't care about eating. People don't care about their appearance. People don't care about sex. Things that almost all adults care about. Person with major depressive disorder does not care about those things. But also loss of interest in things that they used to find interesting. Well, it's hobbies, right? So let's say you used to, I don't know, make model airplanes. I use my model. Then we had another kid, and the idea of a baby being around paint, and paint thinners and all that. Like, no. Still have all my stuff. So if I suddenly stopped podcasting, well, I'll screw it up anyway. I don't have any listeners. Everybody hates me. Really low self-esteem, 
goes with what I was saying before, the idea of I can't do anything right. And this is different than, for example, you will say that now and then. You will have a bad week and you will say, I'm screwing everything up. And a good friend will look at you and go, everything? And you go, well, this is say, um, yesterday you did this, whatever it was. And you'll go, yeah, I guess I did that. It's almost got a psychosis-like thing going on here where you're really not reality testing. Counterexamples of things that you do well will be brushed off as, no, I screwed that up anyway. Right? Also sort of pain, both of course emotional pain, but also actual physical pain. People will feel aches and pains. Now this is, there's a certain time period. Um, if you lose a loved one, this happens to you, and it's completely, it's weird if it doesn't, by the way. I remember after my dad died, my mom said, I feel like, and she listed all these, and she said, I think I have depression. I said, no, mom, I think you have normal. If you didn't have this, I'd be really, really worried about you. Right? It's when it continues for a very long time. I think, what's the, does anyone know what the DSM criteria is? I think it's six weeks. Six plus weeks. Yeah, okay, that's right. So yeah, six plus weeks. Once it goes on six weeks or more, for a few weeks after, you know, makes sense. Uh, this is much more common in women than men. Um, I've seen numbers going from two to one up to like five to one difference between men and women. I, I'm more likely to believe two to one. But I've seen some studies say it's as high as five to one. Um, then there's bipolar affective disorder. We used to call that manic depression. But they changed the name in the 70s. I don't know why. It's a perfectly good name. Anyway, you've got the symptoms of major depression, but you've also got mania. Okay? People who are going through a manic episode are exceedingly irritable. They're really anxious. And they have this thing, it's a, it's a term of, I think it's actually in the DSM, called pressure of speech, which means they keep talking all the time and don't stop talking and ramble and speak very quickly. Okay. It's like something is making them talk. That's hence the name pressure of speech. Um, they feel invincible. And like they could conquer the world. It's like the exact opposite of depression. It's like it's bipolar. Now the problem here is, and this sounds like this person would be a fun person to be around, except for the weird constantly talking thing. Right? Because it'd be like, I'll buy drinks for everybody. You need money? Here's some money. Because in their head, they're like, I can, oh, well, no problem. I will be able to make all of it back next week. Let's max out my credit card. When you say to the person, you know, that probably is not a very good idea. Also, you're married and you're with other people, right? They shouldn't do that either. Then they get really exceedingly defensive and can sometimes be kind of violent. So it's, it's a, I'm not saying it leads to exceedingly violent crime or something, but they'll, they'll, they'll hit people. They'll get really angry. They'll, they'll scream and yell and throw things, that kind of thing. This is, there's no sex difference here. Some people have, uh, I've seen some writers say then that, that major depressive disorder is because of 
the environment and bipolar is not, and I just don't understand that reasoning. Everything is both. Now, you can have sub-bits of both of these. So major depressive disorder, you get something called dysthymia, which is like a small version, in fact, I believe it means in Greek, small depression. Uh, and you can have only manic episodes. It's pretty rare. There are some people that only have manic episodes and they don't have the depression part. It's not very common. So, thank you. I guess somebody really thinks mania is great. <laughs> Woo, mania. Remember in this class in brain behavior last, not two years ago, and then they had they were people were screaming and yelling in the cafeteria and had to yell and tell people to shut up. <laughs> you ready to test? Nobody had memory. Yeah, and then I felt horrible because I was screaming and yelling in class about it, so I gave everybody like five points. <laughs> so here's an interesting bit of data. This is from 2011, uh, National Institutes of Mental Health in the States. Okay. Let's look at depression percentages in kids. Pretty stable. Right. Let's look at depression. Sorry, this is the presence of children, I'm sorry. So you're most depressed, most likely to be depressed, when in fact you've got a lot of pressure in your life. So you have a kid, and the need most most care. Let's say, when you look at that infant depression, little babies lying there going, I don't know. It seems unlikely. Yeah, so that's the presence of a kid in a family. And you can see, in fact, when the kid is the most work, so the most pressure on somebody, that's the more, more likely. The one, the one I think you should concentrate on, take a look on the right, the higher your income, the more less likely you are to be depressed. So there really is definitely an effect of the environment you're in. This is clear. Okay. <coughs> oh. so. so that's the question. Any questions about that? Well, most of you guys know that, but because it's cross-listed, I'd be careful. For the longest time, and I think it's still pretty safe to say, there is some relation to monoamine neurotransmitters and depression typically don't have enough of, is the notion. And it, unlike schizophrenia, where it's like, it's dopamine. We just know it's dopamine, move on. This, I wouldn't call it controversial, but ha what the mechanism is here, we don't know. Uh, and what monoamines it is, we don't know. I guess about <laughs> serotonin, but it's not always going to be serotonin as you'll see with some of these uh, drugs. So, no, uh, I said the, the hedging seems to be. So we got serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. So, and it, it's not, it's specifically people concentrating on serotonin. It's probably, or, well, I shouldn't say probably. It may not be the only thing. It may not be the cause. It may not be you don't have enough serotonin. But it really plays a role because ser uh, drugs that make more serotonin available to the, to the nervous system do affect depression. They're, they're antidepressant. Some 
of the development of the new generation of uh, pharmaceuticals? Uh, we'll get that. Yeah. Because there are not just SSRIs now, there's all kinds of other things that are like serotonin and norepinephrine, things like that, that seem to be good. Uh, there are dopamine, selective dopamine reuptake inhibitors uh, that don't seem to have nearly an antidepressant effect. Uh, basically, what's happened is it's everybody's now, drug companies are concentrating on serotonin more than anything. But also looking at these others too, uh, especially norepinephrine, I think is probably the one that Dark and effort and serotonin together are what drug companies are looking at now, um, and they're constantly doing that. Because this is this is if you think of those data, roughly ten percent of people at some point in their life go through a major depressive episode. If you can capture that market, you're going to make a lot of money. So drug companies are going to, of course, they're going to try. So, like I said, it seems that anything that works for depression does something at serotonin or serotonergic synapses. Okay, that's good. This is also true, by the way, of, of sort of um, herbs, right? St. John's wort, things like that. They're just serotonin reuptake inhibitors. What do you think people get the ideas, drug companies get the ideas for drugs the first time? It's like, oh, this thing is something traditionally people have used. What's in it? So anybody says, oh, I just take natural things. Well, you know, you could also just take without all the baggage, the pill that does it. People. And a bunch of bastards. All right, so a little bit of history on this. Uh, I find this stuff kind of interesting. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors were discovered. Um, they were originally being used for tuberculosis. I, I don't know. I think it's tuberculosis. Uh, let's see. Yeah, and it turned out one of the side effects, so they were having some, was working a little bit for tuberculosis, one of the side effects was people were getting in better moods. So it was an antidepressant effect. So monoamine oxidase inhibitors, and I'll talk about this more shortly, um, the antidepressant effects were serendipitous. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors are not used so much anymore. If you ever see drug commercials in the States, right? You know, drug commercials from Canada can't say what the drug does. They can't, which means a lot. So that's why we have these weird Viagra ads where a guy's just yelling the word Viagra a lot, with a big smile on his face. They can't say what it's for. But if you watch the ones from the States, they tell you in explicit detail what the drug is for, but they also have to, by law, tell you about all the interactions. And every single drug, it doesn't matter if it's a drug for anything, it says, you should not take this if you're taking monoamine oxygen inhibitors. And they say it all so quickly that I, I understand what he said. A monoamine oxidase is really important in digestion. Um, and so if you shut, and you can guess how this is going to work, if you shut down monoamine oxidase, oxidase you're going to have trouble digesting food. But you're also going to have trouble with all kinds of other other things, especially, well, I'll get to what the, really, the especially at some point. But there's two enzymes, monoamine oxidase A and monoamine oxidase B. So they, they were not very um, creative. I thought of those names. 
But there are a new class of drugs that aren't as dangerous with the interactions. Uh, REMAs, they're called, reversible um, monoamine, reverse, sorry, reversible inhibitors of monoamine oxidase A. Reversible inhibitors of monoamine oxidase A, REMA. So monoamine oxidase B still works. So they don't have nearly the same side effects. And they're reversible. You might wonder, how is it reversible? Um, most monoamine oxidase inhibitors, actually, the, the, the bond that happens between the drug and the monoamine oxidase enzyme is a covalent bond, so it actually creates a new molecule. Okay. The reversible ones create like hydrogen bonds. Okay, so they aren't, you're not creating a new molecule. So it's therefore reversible if it's in solution. <coughs> Some of you took chemistry, right? Okay. So you're not creating a new molecule. It's not. When you create a new molecule, it's like, well, now you can't take them apart except if you add a whole bunch of energy or something. Or a catalyst. And, you know, uh, the tricyclic antidepressants, and they're called tricyclic antidepressants because that's what they look like. Three circles. The molecules look like that. Um, they were discovered, now they're still used quite a bit. Um, they were discovered, again, uh, it was accidental, serendipitous. A lot of drugs, this happens. Especially uh, earlier when we were looking for, people weren't actually looking for uh, things that controlled psychiatric symptoms. They were looking for things that did all kinds of, like, control TB or whatever. Antidepressants, if you ever wondered. Then the second generation antidepressants, they're called second generation because these things were these things were built purposely. Tricyclics and MAOIs, people looked and said, okay, what they're doing is making more monoamines available. All of them, depending on how they work, seem to depend on serotonin. Let's make a drug that only affects serotonin. So selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which you should be able to figure out how that works by the name. Um, were discovered, were engineered in the 80s and 90s. So we're talking about Prozac here, basically, fluoxetine. That's the first big time selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Uh, it became a big thing in the 80s and 90s to the point where people were taking it, and we'll talk about this at the end, uh, people that weren't depressed were taking the drug as a, <coughs> quote, personality cosmetic to make them feel better about themselves before a big meeting. Because it was the 80s and people were weird then. I blame it all on Reagan. Um, on Reagan, yes, that's of course a reference that no one cares about because he died before all the people were born. So, then we've got, you know, asked about more recent things. Selective serotonin and nor sorry, selective serotonin nor up God, why is it so hard to say? Reuptake inhibitors. So they're not just working on serotonin; they're working on norepinephrine. Uh, the first one that was approved was in '93, and it's called venlef get venlafaxine. And that actually literally is spelled how it sounds: venlafaxine. Except there's a silent three in the middle. Made that up. 
And he was back in Newfoundland, a theater professor. You know, you know one of his names spelled with capital letters. His first name was Roy, but it was a small R. And he would always correct me if you know him. And I said, fine. You want to do that and just throw a convention out the window and how English works? Fine. My name is Dave, but it's now spelled with a silent three and a picture of a chair in the middle. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why I want to die on that hill. Like, I, it's really not that important, but still. Okay, then there's norepinephrine replic inhibitors. People say, oh, maybe depression's about norepinephrine. So these have been developed, and people have tried them for depression, and they, they may not work. <laughs> the, uh, the data are not convincing. Uh, I read one meta-analysis that said it doesn't work. <laughs> and then, but I've read a lot of papers, some individual papers, that have found effects. So I'm not confident about these, and not a lot of uh, psychiatrists will be prescribing these uh, for depression. Because they're just targeting norepinephrine. But the thing is, it's, they may not work. If they do seem to help some people. And more than a placebo, by the way. So some of the things I've like I said, read some papers, they said, better than a placebo, and it's a good controlled trial. But I read this meta-analysis that said, uh, when you look at all the data together, I don't think there's anything there. So it's a, it's, those are somewhat controversial. Okay. So they may not work. I'm not saying they don't work, but the data are at best equivocal. Let's put it that way. Oh, then there's lithium. Now, lithium, salts of lithium um, are used, and they're, that's nice because these drugs are expensive. You can get generics of most of these. Lithium's really cheap because it's just salts of the, of the metal lithium. And it's used for the, the media part of depression. The media part. It smooths the blood. Yep. How do clinical trials take place for something like this? Because obviously right. there, there are major side effects associated sometimes with these sort of things. Well, that's why the first they got, before you go to a human trial, you had a whole lot of animals. Uh, yeah, animal trials uh, usually with. Reasons might be things like that, so you make sure that the system is pretty similar. That there aren't going to be big uh, side effects. And is there usually a big discrepancy when it gets to the human trials between the animal data and the yes, data? Yes. Typically, no, because they look at the animal model and know what animals to use for that system. So it's a good pre predictor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a good predictor. It's not going to be great, right? I mean, it's going to be perfect because it's hard to. You can model depression, for example, in a monkey. Um, there are ways to do that, or, or even a rat. Um, but if you just look at the side effects, yeah, you can do it in a rat or a monkey. Typically. Right, but you always have to be careful because, like, think about things like caffeine, where the metabolism, metabolic pathway is different in every other animal except for humans. Right? So you have to always be a bit careful. But, I mean, before you get to the human clinical trial, you've done, it's not like these things get approved easily. Um, and then with the human clinical trial, typically <coughs> people are divided up into, it's not just the control group and just the drug group, but it, for simplicity's sake, let's think that way. But then what happens is if they, there is an effect that's being shown partway through, the control group are, start, are given the treatment. Because it's a treatment for the damn disorder they have, right? Yep. So there's a whole ethical thing there. Like, if I'm potentially stopping someone from having major depressive disorder, I found this new drug, and there's no really horribly nasty side effects any worse than any other thing, but it's working really well. I am ethically bound to say to the people in the control group, you know, this stuff, it turns out it looks like it works. Do you want to just 
start taking it. And that's one of the things that happens in these uh, human clinical trials. And it, I mean, it must, it has to, right? It literally must, like those are regulations. I had a friend who um, got through, paid for a lot of his schooling by being in human clinical trials. Uh, for simple things like anti-cholesterol drugs, it was great. He went to McGill and he said for six months they just delivered his meals to his door. He was living on his own. He was getting paid and the food was free. And he just take the drug. Now eat this delicious lasagna. Come in every week for a blood test. So yeah, I need to eat extra 500 bucks and also got free food. Yeah. So lithium is it's a mood stabilizer. Uh, it's very cheap. That's the nice thing here. Talk a bit more about lithium later. So let's talk about the antidepressants, though. For all three types, the absorption, so the tricyclics, the MAOIs, and the SSRIs, or the SECOR, and the other selective reuptake inhibitors. The absorption is similar for all of them. Uh, they mostly are destroyed by first pass metabolism. Uh, one to three hours later, uh, you get peak blood concentration. So anybody here who's been on antidepressants knows. You take, you'll be on a very rigid schedule of, how, of when to take the drugs. And the absorption takes a little longer with SSRIs than with tricyclics or monoaminoxidase inhibitors. So it's very straightforward. Now, lithium, not everything's a poison eventually. Right? Dose makes the poison. Okay? Drink enough water at once. <coughs> That's a poison. But the therapeutic index of lithium is about three. Meaning three times the amount you need to control your manic episodes will kill you. So you've got to be really careful. Um, typically, it's a, it's a matter of uh, when you start on lithium, you take you go every day for blood tests until they find the right dose that's working for you, but also is not toxic to you. It's not killing you. Uh, lithium poisoning is really easy to spot. People's faces turn green, literally green. Uh, I was in, I was teaching a class at, at Memorial, and I was teaching a drug site, and we were talking about drugs that day, and a student came up to me, and he said, I don't, uh, you know a lot about drugs. I said, yeah, he said, that, um, I just uh, started taking lithium, and it, it's amazing how much better I'm doing in school. And uh, I, I apparently had undiagnosed depression, manic dep uh, bipolar disorder for all these years. I'm taking the antidepressants, and I got on the lithium. He said, and I don't feel very well. I said, I turned the lights on because it was really low. And I said, you really have to get to the hospital. See, because you got lithium. I think you have lithium poisoning. I said, have you been, taking, you been going in for your blood test? He said, yeah, every day. I said, did you take two pills today instead of one? And he said, yeah, well, I missed it. I said, no, 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 no. When you miss a day, you don't take two. That's not how it works. You, you, you read the label. I'm sure it says that. And I said, do we have, is there anybody we can contact that can take you to the hospital? Because we can go call an ambulance right now. Remember, this was pre-cell phone stuff in 2000. You know, people had cell phones back then where, you know, stockbrokers were jerks. So, 
we, I took him to the main office and I, I said, can we call him? We called his dad. His dad came over. I, I think his dad got there in eight seconds. Like, it was amazing how quickly he got there. Got him to the hospital. He was fine. And he got mad. So that was pretty great. But I mean, watching, it was amazing. He was green. Like, he was literally the color of the wall here. I mean, and some flesh, white guy flesh color here. Oh, yeah, uh, stomach cramps, uh, vomiting, nausea. Yeah, it's really unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. headache, dizziness. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, but I mean, it works. You just got to find the right dose, that's all. And that's why when you go on lithium, you're going for blood tests every day, and then once they find the right thing, you're still going on blood tests. Maybe blood tests every couple of weeks. A lot of people are. Okay, how do... Monoamine oxidase inhibitors work. Well, I think it's, I hope it's obvious by their name. You have monoamines, which we think are causing not enough depression. It gets depression, that's the theory. So, there is a, an enzyme called monoamine oxidase that lops a, a oxygen off a of monoamine. It, start, it breaks down monoamines, okay? If we inhibit that Um, enzyme. If we bind to that enzyme and create a new molecule, actually, let's say, with the sort of first generation of monoamine oxidase inhibitors, we now have something that cannot break down monoamines, and suddenly you have more monoamines available. So monoamine oxidase A and monoamine oxidase B, both of them, uh, with the traditional monoamine oxidase inhibitors, the, the inhibitor binds to the monoamine oxidase and creates a new molecule that is no longer an enzyme. Does that make sense? Right? Yes, please. And you said, was it just the enzyme A that does the covalent bond? Mm. When, you do, when you're looking at, both A and B do, okay. with traditional monoamine oxidase inhibitors. With REMAs, with these um, uh, reversible uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors that only target the A, they're, they're, they're uh, hydrogen bonds, and they can just, uh, if you remember some of your chemistry, uh, they, 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 they basically, it's like um, when it goes into solution then, they go back to be two separate uh, molecules again. You're not actually creating the molecule. Okay. You're just creating something that's sort of hanging together for those of you who don't know a lot of chemistry, it's like it's basically, you're not creating a new molecule, a new substance, you're creating a complex. It's this thing that just, and now it can't work. Okay. So that's why they're a little safer and they're only targeting the A's, not the B's. You need monoamine oxidase to digest food, especially fermented foods. So people on monoamine oxidase inhibitors cannot drink alcohol. They really shouldn't eat cheese, uh, kimchi, sauerkraut. So the Germans are screwed, right? No beer, no sauerkraut. What are they going to do? And I mean, it's dangerous at this point. Uh, this can lead, oh, I'll talk about this a sec, but it can lead to really nasty side effects, including no longer existing. Tricyclic antidepressants stop the reuptake of all monoamines. And the name selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor should tell you how 
these drugs work. They stop the reuptake of serotonin. That means now there's more serotonin available. All these things, all of them are doing the same thing. If we want to even look only at serotonin, they're concentrating, they're making more serotonin available in very different ways. They're all doing the same thing, right? Now, if we look at the norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, the NRI, it may work and may not, it's only doing with norepinephrine. The SSNRIs are doing with serotonin and norepinephrine. The key thing seems to be serotonin, but it isn't the only thing. Data there are, are conflicting. Yeah. But they aren't as conflicting as just the NRIs. The NRIs, they probably don't work. For depression, maybe. For other things, they're great. The SSNRIs um, seem to work better than the SSRIs, but that may not be because the norepinephrine may not be the key there. There may be some uh, Nobody's quite sure why. Let's say that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that in this. In a second, we're going to get to how lithium works. Could uh, SSRI be used to treat dissociative disorder? I don't know because I don't know what the physiological base dissociative identity disorder would be. Please. I just wanted to add the SNRI, SSNRIs tend to um, help treat like uh, anxious like symptoms. Yes. Yeah, the anxious because like, they're, they're used for things like OCD. It depends yes. on the type of depression and the symptoms yes. uh, experienced. Yeah, I mean, the and they're also used for things like OCD, which SSRIs are still used for OCD. Uh, they're used for agoraphobia, things like that. So there's the anxiety part of that. Um, and in fact, they've been really helpful for OCD. It used to be the OCD. No, we need therapy. But it used to be for OCD. If you didn't respond to talking therapy, you just had OCD. And you just need it. Now, people who take these drugs, uh, I know when the first SSNRI came out, and it was in the early 90s, and it was a guy who played goal, actually, uh, in the NHL, Cliff Larcha, which is Vic Ruiz. Um, he, had, he was very open about the fact that he had OCD. Uh, and you can see these stories sometimes on the like, periods. And he said he, had, he took this magical drug, and it made it go away. And then in a game, he got his throat slit by escape. If you've ever seen that video, he lived, too, which is pretty, pretty amazing. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. That's why goalies now wear throat protectors. Thanks, man. Allowed me to tell the Clinton Lar truck story, the heartwarming story of a goalie getting his throat slit. Did you see him when he came into the suit? Uh, no, I didn't. He came in May, I see him. Oh, he's, he's amazing. He's an amazing guy. Yeah, he's a great goalie. I mean, he always plays for shitty teams, too, so it's like, poor guy never really got a chance to win. But, uh, yeah, he, he was, that was a, the only similar thing I can think of is Richard Zednick of the Florida Panthers. Same thing happened to him, but he was a forward. Um, and watching another player hold his throat like that as they're skating him off. 
hockey, dangerous. Fun, exciting, love it. The thing is, the effects on the nervous system happen right away. But the antidepressant effects can take weeks. Now, when you take chlorpromazine for schizophrenia, the, 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 the voices go away once the physiological effect kicks in, pretty much. So you can go, oh, it's dopamine. So this makes you kind of go, hmm. Or maybe, hmm, more ends. Because it's like, is it just serotonin? It's going to take weeks. And those of you who have taken antidepressants know that when you first go on them, the person who prescribed them is going to say, this might take a while. Just keep taking them. And if it doesn't work, they say, okay, we've got to try a different Right? So it's a, it's a different kind of experience than, say, taking clozapine or chlorpromazine for schizophrenia where it just goes away. Okay, how the hell does lithium work? Well, there are a lot of ideas. Um, I prefer magic as the best explanation. But it's probably not true. What does lithium do? Note the hedging. Seems to decrease norepinephrine uh, release and increase serotonin synthesis. It alters GABA. And it attenuates glutamate. Glutamate never being the, the excitatory neurotransmitter. It slows it down. It attenuates it. turns down the volume. And the thing is, there is a drug... Uh, that is used as a mood stabilizer, Valproate, that also does this. It's also a mood stabilizer. It's not as toxic as lithium, so it's more expensive. It is used for the manic part of bipolar. No one knows how it works either. <laughs> so people looked at both Valproate and salts of lithium and said, what are their similar routes of action? Oh, they both attenuate glutamate. Maybe that's how they work. No one really knows how, how these work. Which is a little disturbing. Um, also, lithium affects um, the that's nitric, nitric oxide signaling pathway. Nitric oxide uh, kind of works like a neurotransmitter. Hmm. So it can send signals very quickly as a gas, and it affects the signaling pathway. It, um, Attenuates it too, so it slows it down. But notice how well, nobody knows. By the way, I remember taking like abnormal psychology. That before we used to call it that, we used to call it psychopathology. Like in 1987, and being told no one knows how lithium works, but somebody will figure it out someday. 30 years later, no idea. Nobody knows. I like the idea of attenuating glutamate because it makes some. Um, intuitive sense, because you think if you're really, 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 really jacked up, it would be glutamate. And also, because we have another drug that is, that works the same, does the same thing, and affects mania. If it works, who cares? I mean, that's sort of, it is the sort of the idea here from this one. And that makes sense. I'm okay with that. So about lithium, you have to remember, um, I don't know what it's called, it once like that, but anyway, um, it's super dangerous. 
right? Uh, it elevates your white blood cell count. You're going to get headache, and then, okay. You might end up with headaches or confusion and memory problems. And these are the first signs that you're getting lithium poisoning. Turning green, like that guy could have died. When you get to the point where your face turns green, you could have just, that would have been enough. And the effective dose is 0.4 millimoles per liter. And the lethal dose is 1.2. In other words, the therapeutic index of three, like I mentioned. But what if you need that much for the mood stabilizing effects? Well, then you don't take lithium. Take something else. I think that right. Lithium's the go-to because it's cheap and it's available. Like it's not like it's a, a, a really like you're taking used to be lithium chloride. We don't do that anymore. Um, lithium sulfate, things like that. Like they're really they're cheap salts of lithium. As an aside, lithium chloride, the reason it's not used anymore is that uh, it has other side effects. Um, but lithium chloride was marketed in the early 1950s as a replacement for salt because, you know, you don't want to have your sodium on it. And then they found out that people were, yeah, yeah. Has this ever led to leukemia possibly with increased white salt? Uh, you don't have to lead to it, it can look like it. It can look like it. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if that leads to it. But it'll look like, and this is what you can see then, you can, this is why you're going for blood tests, right? You don't want to have this elevated blood cell. So you said every... Uh, at first, every day yeah, you're every going. Day. Every yeah. day? For oh, yeah, for, for a couple of weeks if you go on lithium. At least people I've talked to that have... That have uh, every day. For a couple of weeks. And then they go, okay, we found the right dose. It's not toxic to you. Come in every couple of weeks, just to be sure. But yeah, it's it's not... It's, it's a... It's a uh, I was going to say godsend, but well, I don't want to get into a religious debate. Yeah, let's say godsend. Uh, for people that have bipolar, it was when it was discovered that this worked, but it is also an exceedingly dangerous drug. You know, people have to be told things like, I know with some drugs, when you miss a day, you take two that they don't ever do that. And that's a pretty common reason people end up with lithium. Because, like, say you take antibiotics, you'll actually say, you know, you'll be told by your doctor, if you, if you take one every four hours, but if you forgot to. This is something you do for life, I assume, right? Yeah. 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 So once you're on it, it's yeah. long-term. Yeah. yeah. Now, what you try to do, of course, you're also going to throw in, remember, we're also, if we're talking about treating, uh, treating depression and bipolar, you're also in therapy. And eventually, the goal would be to not be on the drugs anymore, because it's, there are side effects to these things. And it's not fun. And drugs cost money. You know. When people do come out of it, people do Unlike schizophrenia, where that's just all you're, you're grabbing that for your life. Yeah, you're on the drugs forever. Okay, so monoamine oxidase and tricyclic antidepressants, because they're also going to have an effect on acetylcholine, you end up with a dry mouth. That's a side effect. Constipation. Some dizziness. Uh, irregular heartbeat. Ooh. Blurred vision, ringing in your ears. But at least now life has meaning. A most common to least common.
Whoops, sorry. Now, for SSRIs, nausea, nervousness, and in fact, uh, those are probably pied for the first two most common things that people complain about as side effects. Um, headaches, insomnia. That there's a possibility of something called serotonin syndrome. Now, serotonin syndrome is pretty unlikely, but if you take too much, Prozac or flexitine, is called really. Um, you can get a high body temperature, uh, agitation increased, reflexes, tremor, sweating, dilated pupils. So basically, what's happening here is your sympathetic nervous system is kicking in. And you're, uh, except also diarrhea. Um, your body temperature can increase up to 41 degrees Celsius, and 37, which is your normal body temperature. Jeez. That seems unpleasant. And there are, are a couple of cases of people who have, like, it, it, that can kill you. First case was a woman that was Garrett, that we know of, was a woman who took too much Prozac. Oh, I just forgot her name. Doesn't matter. Now, monoamine oxidase inhibitors, as I noted, block monoamine oxidase. Um, not MOA, M-A-O. So one of the things that can happen when you block monoamine oxidase is that there's a, uh, an amino acid that's found in fermented foods. I forget its name. But the important thing is that when you take, take when you don't break this stuff down, you can end up with, oh yeah, I put it in my notes, good, because I would forget it, pyramid. Um You can end up with something called a hypertensive crisis. What that is basically is it's, your heart rate might go up to 200. Oh, fine. And as you could probably guess, that's pretty dangerous because your blood pressure is going to go through the roof and you might end up having a heart attack from that, from eating cheese and taking monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Cheese has like an active, uh, like a fermented one, you know, or uh, eating Vegemite if you're Australian. Vegemite. The nice thing is the Remo ones don't do that. So they're, they're a lot safer. And the, the, the sad thing is they're pretty effective and they're cheaper than SSRIs. But the problem is that most psychiatrists go MAOIs, no, 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 I don't want to prescribe those, they're dangerous. But these, this new generation is quite a bit safer. Probably safer than most tricyclics, but people don't want to prescribe them. And I kind of understand that they want to stay away, but uh, studies have shown that they're pretty safe. Like tricyclics can actually be pres prescribed as sleeping pills, which is interesting. Uh, so you got to be careful because, and in fact, one of the major ways that people who are depressed kill themselves is by overdosing on their on if they're taking a tricycle. Because you've got death in a bottle right in front of you. 
And like I said, you're taking the drug, you have enough now confidence to believe that you can actually succeed at something, and you go, well, you think about it. So that's what tricyclics people try to stay away from those a lot. Um, or the, 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 the amount given the, the pills have such a small amount of drug in them that it's hard to overdose. It's interesting that some SSRIs affect REMS, some don't. That actually may be an antidepressant effect. Um, getting better sleep or getting, yeah, getting better sleep may be an antidepressant. So increasing REM, having more vivid dreams, things like that, that may not be necessarily an effect of the drug directly, but an effect of living a better day and having a real night's sleep instead of lying in bed all day. Make sense? Okay, so that's, it couldn't just be an antidepressant. As I said, fluoxetine, that's Prozac, makes drug, seems to make dreams more vivid. People report when they're on this, they have more vivid dreams, but that, again, might be an antidepressant effect. You're going to have good REM sleep, right, when you have a full day, and you haven't just lied in bed, napping on and off all day. You get a proper night's sleep when you've had a proper day. And this may just be that people report, oh, my dreams are so vivid now because they haven't really experienced proper REM sleep in weeks or months, years. Um, in other words, just a high. People who have taken Prozac, and it was Prozac, that was the one people were taking it in the 90s, that's like both personality <coughs> People have taken that, in, for that reason, report feeling better about themselves and more confident. But they don't report, I feel like I just snorted cocaine. Like it's, it's not a high, it's not a euphoria thing. So, in other words, we, don't, we would not call it a liking response. So there's no drug liking here. Though antidepressants have some street value. Because you, it's hard to get prescribed something for a disorder you don't have. But if you want to use you know, something like flexitine as a quote, personality cosmetic, you have to get it somewhere. Uh, tricyclics have some cognitive effects, especially uh, a little bit of confusion often. I know someone who's taking tricyclics who reported that they stopped taking them because they couldn't remember what they were supposed to be doing when they stood up to do something. So it's just general confusion. But that's a single case I'm thinking of, a person I know. But like I say, maybe it's reported sometimes not. So confusion is the idea. So the idea of a personality cosmetic, and I want to talk a little bit about this if you wish. Um, what, are, what are your views on the idea of taking something that, yes, I know it was designed as a drug to combat depression. But what are, does anybody have any views on this? Do you think it's good, bad, ugly, indifferent? Any thoughts? Nobody cares. Well, I don't think it can be good, assuming your body doesn't eat it, right? No, your body doesn't need 
sugar. sour cream and onion chips, but they're delicious. You know, your body doesn't need coffee, but many of us have a cup of coffee in the morning just because we like coffee and also because most of us are dependent on caffeine. I guess, like, I have a bias towards it because I know my pharmacy, like, people stole, like, SSRIs and antidepressants. Yeah. And it, was, it ended up, like, they found out who it was, and it was a bunch of people who were just trying to sell them. And, oh, yeah. And stuff like that. No, no, oh, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's what I'm saying. There is some street value to these drugs, unlike the, the antipsychotics. So I think that side of it's bad because people... Oh, sure. Anything where it's going to create crime, I don't like. Yeah. That's why I think all drugs should be legal. That's a different discussion. I literally think they should all be completely legal and regulated. Taylor? I think that everything's going to have side effects, and for people who actually have disorders, it's a means to an end for them. Of course. I'm of, I mean, I, I actually kind of agree with both you guys, by the way. But, but on the other hand, the other part of me is like, go nuts, I don't care. I mean, take it. I mean, if you think it makes you a better person, you give a better present, don't, please don't take Prozac for your presentation. I was thinking more of like a work thing, more like a madman thing. You're presenting something from the art department. I'm always watching that. If it gets more commonly used, yeah. more people start taking it just because, yes. then the value for it is going to go up. Yes. And then people that actually need it for disorders, it's going to be more expensive to get. Yeah, and there'll be more security around it, and it'll be harder for them to get to, right? I mean, this is the concern. This is the thing we talked last week about opiates. There's a really legitimate use for all those drugs. But now it's hard to get prescribed them harder because people fake stuff, and we don't want people like most people we saw in that documentary. Um, yeah, that's a concern. I mean, I don't have a moral thing about, well, that's your personality, you shouldn't change it. Because frankly, if I could take a pill to get rid of the bad parts of me, or the annoying parts of me, <laughs> that'd be a pretty big pill, I think we all agree. Um, thank you. Uh, you can always argue with those things and say, no, you're great, Dick. Uh, <laughs> you can do that. I mean, feel free. I'm just saying. But uh, I don't know. I, sometimes we change our personalities or make an effort to make change, you go to therapy. Maybe this makes you feel better about yourself. I mean, that, like I said, I have two minds about it. I just don't know. Part of me is this sort of falling to the naturalistic fallacy. It's like, well, you're like that. You should stay like that. The other part of me is like, well, why? <laughs> so I, I, I've not heard a convincing argument against it or for it. But I've heard arguments, which you both think were good. Other thoughts on this? Like, if you could take a pill that would make you have, so we could just talk about personality cosmetics, if you could take a pill that would make you give a better presentation when you give your talk in this class, who would take it? Yeah, I'd take it, sure. I mean, I, I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> but yeah, of course you would, right? A lot of you would. A lot of you would. Isn't that cheating? No, I don't know. It's kind of like steroids, isn't it? I don't know. That's a good question, right? Yeah, I, I, it's a weird thing. I mean, I, and I think there's going to be more of these kind of things where we start developing, pharmacologically developing pills that make us feel better about ourselves. I think that's going to happen. I mean, 
Why wouldn't a drug company pursue something like that if they could? I don't think they make it exceedingly public, but if you could make somebody... Some of these drugs, by the way, are used to treat personality disorders, which are exceedingly difficult to treat anyway. You're changing somebody's personality there, except that we've labeled that, justifiably, by the way, as a disorder, that kind of person. I don't know. Other thoughts? I'm, I'm lost on this. I don't know what to think. There's very few things I don't have a black and white opinion on. But this is one of them. I honestly have no idea. Yeah. All we need to do debate paper. Not like there were three topics, and this was one of them. Oh, really? They're just a debate topic, but we had to have even science, and I still don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is saying, I've, I've been thinking about this literally since I started teaching this class in 1998. And I, both, I can see both sides to this, and I can't see, there's not one argument being like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I wish there were. I like certainty a great deal. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're sorry. Is there any danger in people not, like, if they're not prescribed with like, depression or anything, do yeah. they take it as sort of any danger? Well, this is those side effects, right? And you don't know enough. And you're getting this on the street. You're not getting this from a doctor, right? You're getting this on the street. So, Maybe you're dumb and you take nine of them and you get serotonin syndrome, which can kill you. Right? That's the danger of drugs that aren't regulated and they're just on the street. Right? Same thing with, like I said, with the opiates. People take them. There's a completely legitimate reason to take them, uh, which is you know pain management, and then there's oh, the other, which is the taking opiates because they're opiates because they're because at one time in your life they were fun, you know. That's a real, real issue. Yeah, I don't know what the story is on this. I don't know what to say. I have literally no idea. But it's, it's the kind of thing, I'm glad Paul did that in that class. Because I mean, it's, it's one of these, like, I just have no, was that 4,007? Yeah. 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 I, I literally have no, well, maybe, I might steal that when I teach 4,007. I mean, I don't take most of Paul's ideas because most of them are crap, but that's a pretty good one. Um. So tolerance and withdrawal. Well, I thought I changed the font to be bigger on all of them. Anyway, not that one, obviously. Both the side effects and the main effects show tolerance of all these drugs. Withdrawal can happen, uh, oh, God, but the medical uh, people, the drug companies, big pharma, when anybody starts their any sentence with big pharma, they're full of shit. But pharmaceutical, they are. Pharmaceutical companies, however, don't like the word withdrawal from these drugs because it's bad for marketing. They call it discontinuation syndrome. It's freaking withdrawal. Just call it withdrawal. It's like, yeah, but it's not heroin. No one said it was heroin, dumbass. Anyway. Basically, things like agitation, uh, muscle aches, nervousness, things you probably should expect. And it's easier to keep people on SSRIs than the other drugs because they don't have, the side effects typically aren't reported as being as unpleasant. They're as unpleasant. I mean, those, those are unpleasant side effects, but it's way better to be able to hold down a job and get into your house and do things. And again, always throw in with, or it should be at least, with talking care. All right, what's the bad stuff here? Well, 
they can affect, uh, most of these drugs can affect your ability. Well, then you need the Viagra, as I mentioned. It seems there isn't any, like, so birth defects that you reported on fetuses. I've seen something of birth weight, but it, I haven't seen a replicate. Typically, what will happen when a woman becomes, because they cross the, the, fetal, uh, the, sorry, the placental barrier, typically what happens when a woman is pregnant and, and she's on antidepressants, the first advice is to slow down on the antidepressants and find a level where the person can function. So cut down a bit and find something, a dose that still works. But a lot of MDs at first will say, just please stop taking them and see if you can get through a day. And you stop it for nine months. And if you can't, let's find a dose, a small dose that works, but no more. Um, you can take too much, as I said, tricyclic antidepressant, and it can kill you. Go to sleep and you don't wake up. I will say, however, um, there was a lot of stuff in the early, late 90s, early 2000s about how SSRIs cause violence. You take too much, you take, it was used actually in court, right? And on Oprah as an excuse. I was insane, that's why I killed my wife, because of Prozac. Turns out that doesn't cause violence. People don't go around killing people because they're on Prozac. It's not a thing. Yeah, the thing is, if you have serotonin syndrome, well, you're not going to be so debilitated. Yeah. You couldn't kill it. You wouldn't be irritable. Yes, irritable, and you wouldn't be able to probably string your thoughts together anyway enough to plan a murder. Yeah. Right? So you don't say, I'll plan a murder. They'll take 18 Prozacs. <laughs> That's a plan for that. Um, but yeah, there is there's one case that I can think of where the person. Yeah, it was a Canadian politician, I think, working in Saskatchewan, who killed his wife. He was a minister of the Saskatchewan government. And he claimed that he had serotonin, his lawyer said he had serotonin syndrome. And he, that's when he killed her. And I can't remember how that went, but I think he was found guilty. So in other words, he said, maybe you had serotonin syndrome. You still killed your wife. That's not insanity, right? So, um, yeah, you. You, you, you would probably wouldn't get violent. You'd be, like I said, you, your thoughts would be so disorganized. You probably couldn't put two things together and, and kill somebody. You know, uh, but yeah, you could if you took too much. Have serotonin syndrome. That's a thing. <coughs> Which looks a lot like a bad acid trip without hallucinations. So these things can be dangerous, but they've really been a wonderful thing for psychiatry, and they've helped a great number of people. You know, uh, it's it, it, they're a good thing. Questions? Next time we'll talk about weed.
on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for Dr. Dave Brodbeck's Psychology Lectures from Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something but if you didn't i unless you're one of my students i really don't care um the music by the way for each uh song for each uh uh episode <laughs> lecture uh is uh available they're all podcast uh, like pod safe music so if you want to uh, find out about the bands there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback uh if those links don't work just contact me and i'll find uh, i'll find out um Often I put links, uh, actually, in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So, uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're, they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.